Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Father, we thank you for this book, Lord. We thank you that you've not left us in the dark, wondering who you are and who we are and how to live life but you've given us a book, Lord. You've given us this book of Proverbs that we're studying. We thank you for wisdom, Lord. We need wisdom. We need wisdom so badly. And we just pray, Lord, that as we dig into your word this morning, that you'll make us wise. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would so enliven our hearts that we'd actually be able to do the things that are in here, Lord. We can't do these things on our own, not even close. We need you to live through us, and we pray that you do that this morning. And I, I pray for, for all those that are here, Lord. I pray that you would open our hearts to your word, Lord. Make our hearts good soil. Lord, as your son taught a parable of different types of hearts, and there's stony heart, rocky hearts. Um, Lord, make our hearts good soil for the seed of your word, Lord. May it dig deep into our hearts and transform us from the inside out, Lord. We are open to you now. We have seen that we are not good at running our lives ourselves, and we are prepared now to offer our lives to you to live through us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So it would be a good idea to turn to Proverbs. Um, we're going to be uh, kind of all over the place in the book of Proverbs uh, this morning. And it would be really helpful for you to have it open. Um, we're in a series called Love Wisely, which is a relationship series in Proverbs. So we're looking at how the wisdom that's in Proverbs, in God's word, um, can help us to love wisely. And um, what we're going to look at this morning is the topic of speech or our words. And it's, I'll just warn you ahead of time, it's super convicting, okay? It's always been the most convicting part of Proverbs for me. It's actually the second most common topic in the Proverbs. The most common topic is wisdom, though. So you could kind of say that this is the number one topic of applying wisdom in our lives is, is speech. And um, what we're going to see is how God's wisdom can transform our relationships by transforming our words. And I don't know if you guys have thought about this, but our ability to speak is a strange and amazing ability. It's a very unusual ability. I mean, all, lots of animals communicate. Even plants communicate. They communicate through different pheromones and chemicals that they send out. But only human beings talk. And we talk a lot. We talk a ton. We're, we're, we're the talking animals, which is really strange. Have you ever thought about how, how your speech even works? It's super interesting. Like, even right now, if I think about it too much, maybe I'll have problems speaking. But... Um, but, you know, your lungs push a jet of air, right, out, up your trachea, right, through your larynx, which is right here, and you actually, when you're talking, you can feel it vibrating. And inside the larynx, there's these two vocal folds, we call them vocal cords, and, and they tighten or loosen to get different pitches. And as the air is going through, these things vibrate, guys, at hundreds of times per second. So, some sources even said close to 1,000 times per second when it's a really high pitch. It's going to vibrate slower with a low pitch. And you've got these muscles that pull those, those cords to tighten or loosen them. And when, when, when your muscles tighten them, it does a, like a higher pitch voice. And when they loosen, it does a lower pitch voice. And this whole thing is causing this, your, your, your tone in your voice. It's an amazing thing. And, and what comes out of that is actually something that's just kind of a buzzing sound. It takes your, your lips and your tongue to form that into words. It's an amazing ability, guys. You guys are a bunch of crazy talking animals. What explains you? You know what I mean? Have you ever thought about that? Where, where, you know, you think like, you think, oh, I don't know if there's a God and all this stuff. And then you think like, we're a whole bunch of talking animals. Like we can talk to each other and we have this, and that doesn't even include like the brain part that's, that's involved in that and forming the words. How am I able to talk this fast? I realize I talk very fast and I've had comments about that. 
But it's amazing. I mean, the brain, the nerves, the vocal cords tightening and loosening and you breathing out and at the right tone and pitch and then forming the words. It's incredible. It's totally incredible. And, and, and your ability to talk, guys, is actually part of what it means to be made in the image of God because our God is a talking God, right? In the first beginning of Genesis, you see the first words communicated are God's words, right? As he speaks this world into existence and then as he speaks this world into order. He's a talking God. And that wasn't the first time he talked either, right? Because God is a community of three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, three persons, who have always been in relationship with each other, the deepest and best kind of friendship and love. And they've been communicating. They've been communicating from all eternity. And so our ability to speak is actually part of what it means to be made in his image. Our ability to speak is wonderfully strange. It's amazing. But it also has scary power. Scary power. Um, take a look at Proverbs 18.21. That's our main verse for this morning. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We have this kind of godlike ability to speak, and it has godlike effects of death and life. And that's not an exaggeration. I mean, you can think, oh, that's, you know, it's poetic, it's an exaggeration. It's not an exaggeration. I mean, we all know that there's kids that have literally died because of things their peers had told them, right? Put them into such despair that they ended their lives. Um, We all know older men that are still crippled by things that their parents said to them or didn't say to them when they were young. Um, We can think about, you know, the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Like, who wrote that? Like, was that person, did that person have any life experience? It's the most bizarre thing in the world. It's totally opposite, right? It's sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can put me in lifelong therapy, right? I mean, that's, that would be the better, it doesn't kind of roll off the tongue though, right? And so there you have the other one. But guys, words are powerful. Words are powerful to give life too. I mean, I had a friend, who's actually a relative of mine, who, who fought a losing battle of cancer in her 30s, and she hung on with joy because of words that her friends gave her, right? It was the words of encouragement that, that reminded her of what she had in Christ that made her you know, endure with joy cancer in her 30s. Um, Nietzsche said, he who has a why can bear any how. That if we have a meaning for what we're going through, that we can bear anything. And words of encouragement, biblical words of encouragement, can give us that why. It can give us that reason to continue. They're life-sustaining words. Or, you know, I could think of a spouse who was turned back from the cliff of divorce because of a rebuke from her child. Those were life-giving words. Those were words from a child that changed everything. Or you think about a man that was lost in confusion and he hears the gospel and not only he but his whole family comes to Christ and has eternal life. Words are powerful. So we have this incredible ability to speak, guys. And I was thinking about it this week and we've been giving an added ability to project that through social media, right? So you have social media and now you have a platform for your words that you don't deserve. <laughs> Just bottom line. Like, have you ever thought about this before? Like, do I deserve to have a platform where hundreds of people are influenced by my words every day? Do I have the wisdom to handle that? It's a reasonable question to ask, right? Because it's a weird thing. I'm not all against social media. You guys know. I, I, I use it a lot. But it's like, should I have the influence of influencing hundreds of people with what I say every day? Do I have the wisdom to do that? Do I have the, the ability to even handle that? And words, guys, there's no neutrality. And Proverbs 18.21 again says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Everything we say nudges people towards life or death every day. 
And we can imitate God or we can imitate the serpent in our words. Because you remember in those first few chapters of Genesis, it wasn't just God speaking to Adam and Eve, right? There was the serpent. The serpent was crafty. The serpent was careful with his words, but his words were deadly. And so every time we speak, we can either speak the words like God or speak words like the serpent. A serpent tends to speak words of pain and lies and chaos, whereas God speaks words of grace and truth and order, and we can imitate one or the other. There's no neutrality. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So we need wisdom, guys. Don't you agree? We need a lot of wisdom in this area. We're like children that have been given atomic power, you know, and, and told, yeah, yeah, you do what you want with that, you know, and it's like, well, I don't think we're right ready for this kind of power, but we have it. And so what are we going to do? We need wisdom. So that's what we're going to do this morning is we're going we're to seek wisdom in the Proverbs about our speech and see how to use this gift to speak life and not death. So this morning we'll look at deadly words, we'll look at life-giving words, and we'll look at how Christ redeems our words. First, let's look at deadly words. I was talking to one of my kids and I was telling him, he goes, what are you teaching on this week? And I said, I'm te- teaching it on speech. And he goes, oh, you're going to talk about like swearing and stuff? <laughs> and, you know, it's a good guess, but the thing is, guys, Swearing is the least of our worries. When you look through the Proverbs and you see what we can do with our speech, four-letter words are the least of our worries, right? You'll see as we look in here the deadliness of some of these words. Um, There are words that are intended to wound. Um, Proverbs uh, 12.6, take a look at that. It says, the words of the wicked lie in wait for blood. Isn't that wild? Not with their hands, with their words. Proverbs 11.9 says, with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. We can wound people with our words, and we can do it like to their face, but we can also do it behind their back, right? There's two ways to, to attack people with our words. To their face, sometimes it just feels good, guys, doesn't it? It feels so good to just, and it feels so right, to just tell somebody how you feel about them, right? Just let it all out. It feels good. It feels like, all right, you know, this feels, you know, you feel like you have righteous anger. There is a thing called righteous anger. I'm terrible at it, and you, you probably are too. Um, but you have that feeling of just, oh, I'm just going to ventilate. You know, Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man holds it back. Angry speech can include things like threatening. We can threaten people physically. We can threaten them financially. We can, a uh, common one in marriage is in, a, in an argument is to threaten divorce. We should never do that. Um, to threaten divorce and use that as a weapon. Um, We can threaten our kids with excessive punishment. We'll talk about parenting in a few weeks, but we've all done this, where we kind of just wanted to get a reaction out of them when we threw out some you know, outlandish punishment we were going to drop on them to, to, to try and bring them under control. Angry speech can throw uh, a person's sins in their face just to, just to wound them. There is a thing of correcting people and showing them their sin. It's another thing to throw their sins in their face to wound them, right? Um, that's the way the serpent speaks, right? Serpent is the accuser. He's the condemner. He's the one that throws your sin in your face just to wound you, right? When we do that, that's serpent speak, right? That's parcel tongue, right? That's the, that's the voice of the serpent. Angry speech can, can belittle people. Look at Proverbs eleven twelve. 12. I told you this was going to be convicting up front, okay? Me too. Proverbs eleven twelve says, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. What do we mean by belittling? Belittling is when you attack a person's value as a human, you know? So you're tearing them down. You're wanting to show them how small and how insignificant, how worthless they are as a human, something we should never do with our speech. Um, Parents can do this once again to their kids, you know? We can tear them down, you know? We can tear them down and create real wounds. Um, Belittling people would also include things like racial slurs, 
uh, homosexual slurs, things like that that tear down groups or people or individuals. When we disdain any individual and any group of people, what we're doing really is we're disdaining God. Because all human beings are made in his image and they deserve respect. Um, we can use speech to retaliate. Proverbs 12, 16 says, The vexation of a fool is known at once. <laughs> Doesn't take much, right? To get, something, to get a rise. The vexation of a fool is known at once. And then it says, But the prudent ignores an insult. Then it, how hard is that second half? But the prudent ignores an insult. Why is this so hard? It feels weak, doesn't it? It feels weak not to respond. It feels like you're either saying... I'm too weak verbally to get you back, which I'm not, but I, I'm too weak verbally to get you back. Or you're saying I'm too weak physically, that if this were to escalate, that somehow I need to back down because I'm weak. It isn't weakness, guys. It's meekness. Jesus is the best example of this, right? Because Jesus did not retaliate. He could have. Jesus had all the resources to blow people to bits at any moment. He said, I could ask my father and call down a legion of angels right now. Like, he could do that, but he restrained it, right? He didn't retaliate. I know, guys, that, that often when we try to do this, especially men, we feel weak doing it, but it's strength. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. He's saying, he's like, if you can bring your spirit under control, that's better than being able to conquer an entire city. Like, that's real power. It's the strongest thing you can do, which is why it's not the thing we do naturally, right? <laughs> exactly. Instead, guys, we're called to use our words to, instead of escalating conflict, to de-escalate conflicts. Take a look at Proverbs 15.1. This is a great one to share with your kids. This would be a great one to apply ourselves. Uh, Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Have you ever known somebody that's really good at that verse? It's amazing. Somebody that can take a conflict and de-escalate it. You know, it's almost like a Jedi mind trick, right? It's almost like, these are not the droids you're looking for. It's like, this is not the conflict you want to have. And they're like, this is not the conflict I want to have. I mean, it's just amazing. Some people have this great wisdom at giving a soft answer and turning away wrath. Some of you guys are in customer service is what you do all day. You know, some of you guys, if you're a management or whatever, you deal with this stuff all day and you have this ability to take some, somebody that's just totally unhappy and just not going to take anything and, and gradually give them a soft answer and kind of work with them. And that's wisdom. That's biblical wisdom to do that. I see some people that do this and I'm like, you should be a hostage negotiator. It's amazing. It's a height of wisdom to be able to do that. Um, so there's direct attacks. There's also indirect attacks. One of the common indirect attacks would be the guerrilla warfare of gossip. You know, to get somebody in the back, right? Gossip wounds people, guys. Gossip wounds people in a way that other things can't wound them. It wounds them in their reputation. There's this really cool line in Shakespeare's Othello where it says this. He says, He who steals my purse steals trash, but he who filches my good name makes me poor indeed. Like, you go after my name. That's, and that's what we do when we gossip is we're cutting people down in the eyes of other people. A friend of mine, Jim Neuheiser, he wrote this book which is a great book on the Proverbs. I should have shared this with you a long time ago. I'm not trying to withhold anything from you. This book on Proverbs by Jim Neuheiser is really great. It's very, kind of an outline format. It just really shows you all the verses. Great way to study Proverbs if you want to do more. But um, he said in his book on the Proverbs, he says, we're guilty of gossip when we pass on to others what is not fitting to repeat. Listen to this. Even if it's true. I think this is one of our confusions a lot of times, uh, maybe intentional confusion, is we confuse slander and gossip. We think, well, like, you know, like, it's not gossip if it's true. It's only gossip if it's not true. No, slander is something that's not true. Gossip can be true or not true, and it's both sin. Gossip's always sin. 
Um, and I just thought about it this week. Like, our depravity, guys, makes gossip super tasty to us. Not all of us, but a lot of us. It's a super tasty thing. Proverbs 26, 22 says this. The words of the whisperer, okay, which is a word for a gossip, because it's always like, hey, you know, it's always in a whisper. It's always in a lower tone. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. They're like delicious morsels. They're like, oh, look what I got. You know, it's delicious. It's something that has a pleasure to you. You can even hear it in people's voices when they share it. Oh, have you heard what she's up to now? There's a hint of joy right there. There's a glint of joy. Why? Because it's tasty. It's a tasty thing. Oh, have you heard what she's up to now? Oh, did you hear what he said? Oh, did I tell you what I found out about so-and-so? Right? There's this, there's this craving of it. There's this deliciousness to it. It's a tasty little morsel. Why is gossip so tasty? You know, one of it is we have this perverse desire to be in the know. You know, it's not our business. It's kind of like we take this godlike stance. We want to have knowledge of everybody's life and what's going on in it. But it's partly, guys, a pleasure in sharing the faults and failures of others. We, as depraved human beings, like to share the, fa- the, failings and, um, fa- the failings and failures of others. And the reason is, guys, because we're innately religious creatures. And we see all human beings on a moral hierarchy, right? We see it like a big ladder. It's like a big ladder with a bunch of rungs, and the top one's God, and the bottom one's like Adolf Hitler or something, or Matt Manson or something, right? And then we're somewhere on this ladder, right? We're somewhere on this moral hierarchy. And, and what happens when we have some sort of dirt on somebody, some sort of failure, and we share it, is what we're thinking is, if I can knock this person down a rung, I come up a rung. More people I have below me, the better I feel about myself, right? Like, you know, I'm not down here, I'm up here. And, and the more people I see their faults and stuff, I move more and more up the rung of the ladder. It's, it's a depraved thing, but I think that's the way most of us think. But guys, the gospel blows up the ladder, right? Because the gospel says this, yeah, there's a ladder, it's got two rungs, okay? Top rung is God, perfection. The bottom rung is the morally depraved, that's you, Okay? Two rungs. Morally depraved, perfection. You're here. <laughs> right? The gospel says that to us. That's the bad news, right? Is that we are on the bottom rung. The good news of the gospel is because you trust in Christ, you're actually treated as if you're on the top rung. Don't deserve to be there. That's where you're, that's where you're being treated. So the gospel destroys our appetite for gossip by declaring we are on the bottom rung, but in Christ we're treated as if we're on the top rung. And so sharing the fa- faults and failures of others doesn't do anything for us anymore. Right? There's only two rungs. That makes sense. I was having dinner a couple weeks, ago, uh, a couple years ago. Sorry, a couple years ago with somebody. Um, I don't go to our church now, but uh, I was talking with this person, and it was really clear that the person I was talking to was like thinking that like time with a pastor was time to get some dirt. Like you probably know all the good morsels, right? That's what's the feel. And I'm like, you're not getting any, you know? Like that's not happening here. And I remember just as we were talking and just seeing this desire for gossip, I just remember thinking, man, you are the most dangerous person in our church. You know, let's not be that person. <laughs> you could just see it. You could just see. And because, guys, gossip is always creating drama. Proverbs 6.14 says, With perverted heart they devise evil, continually sowing discord. Sowing discord as if discord or conflict is a seed, and you're just putting it here and putting it there. That's what gossip does. It sows discord. And in the gospel, guys, our sin has been covered, and so we're eager to cover the sins of other people, not expose them. Proverbs 17.9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. 
And I just want to give you this rule of thumb, and it's just a rule of thumb, which is try this. Try never speaking negatively about someone unless they're there. Start there. Are there exceptions to this? I think there probably are. Probably parents need to talk about some faults with their kids and kind of come up with a game plan and come out unified, right? You go in the bedroom, you have your parent meeting, and then you come out like, this is what we think, you know, right? Like, there's some exceptions. There's probably other exceptions. But Titus 3.2 says, speak evil of no one. So that'd be a good place to start. <laughs> good place to start is don't talk negatively about anybody unless they're there. Also, guys, realize that it takes two to gossip. I remember a young man came up to me. It was so funny. He goes, he goes hey, I got this problem with a friend. And like every time I'm with him, all he, want, all he does is gossip to me. And I'm like, buddy, it takes two. Like it takes a receiver, right? If he's gossiping to you the whole time, you're receiving it. Right? And so one thing that's really helpful in this area, and I know a lot of you guys already practice this, but, you know, if somebody says, you know, I'm not really sure I should tell you this, but say, okay, then don't. Right? I'm not sure I should tell you this. Okay, then don't. Simple, right? Um, or, you know, somebody starts to share faults of somebody else to say, have you talked to them about this yet? I mean, Matthew 18 says, if you have a problem with somebody, go and tell them their fault in private. Right? And some people will come to you and say, hey, you know, I don't, I don't know how to go to that person. I'm like, well, just go to them. Go to them and tell them their fault. And if you have problems, I'm happy to be that one or two other in the second step. Remember, the second step is take one or two others. But we don't even talk about it ahead of time. Do you guys realize that? It says, go and tell your brother his fault in private. And if he doesn't receive it, then bring along one or two. It doesn't say go to those one or two and tell them all about it and get them whipped up and turn it into a lynching party and, and go after this person, right? No. It says bring those other people in. They're going to hear the offense with everybody there. And so that's, that's uh, the way the Lord would have it. And so, um, and just say, I'd be happy to be one of those two others, but until then, it's gossip. Do you know that gossip has an evil twin? I mean, gossip's evil too, so it's like an evil one with an evil twin. The evil twin's flattery, right? So you have gossip and you have flattery. I love this definition of flattery. It, it, this, this author, he says, gossip is saying behind a person's back what you would never say to their face right? Flattery is saying to a person's face what you would never say behind their back, right? <laughs> You're getting it. Okay, let me read it again. Gossip is saying behind a person's back what you would never say to their face. Flattery is saying to a person's face what you'd never say behind their back. Proverbs 29.5 says, a person who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet, which is a type of lying. In the next section of, of types of deadly words are lies, and lies, guys, are incredibly destructive to communities. They're even incredibly destructive to countries. I was listening to something um, this week that was just talking about why certain countries, you know, don't come along economically. And there can be tons of reasons. But he said sometimes the problem is, is there's no culture of honesty. And so you can have a place that has all the natural resources in the world, but if people can't trust each other, you can't do commerce, you can't form relationships, and the thing's continually in unrest. And the same thing will happen, too, in your individual relationships. And God's made his stance on lies clear, right? Um, Proverbs 6, 16 says there's six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination, and one of the ones he lists is lying. And you might ask yourself, are there exceptions on the, on the commandment of lying? Are there exceptions for things like, I'll give you a challenging one, um, the Egyptian women lying to Pharaoh to protect the Hebrew babies. They did that. God blessed them. Okay. Rahab lying to protect the Hebrew spies. God did that. They did that, and God blessed them. Or lying to the Nazis to hide Jews in Germany during World War II. I mean, are these exceptions? I think they probably are, but when's the last time that your lies were about hiding people from Nazis? 
Okay, because a lot of times we take those and go, well, there's exceptions, and then we go, so I can use it at work. You know, it's like, no. Did you hide people? Were you hiding people from Nazis at work? No. Okay. Probably the exceptions don't apply to you. Why do we lie? That's a really important question to ask. Why do we lie? If we're not trying to hide people from Nazis, why do we lie? That's really important to ask, especially if you're like dealing with lying and you're kind of trying, you're you're convicted about it, you're thinking like, why do I keep doing this? One thing to ask yourself is, why do I lie? People lie for different reasons. Some people lie, it depends on what your idol is, right? Some people lie for control. You know, somebody asks them a question, they give a lie, and the reason is, don't bother me, I want to do what I want to do. Okay, that's a control thing, right? Some people lie, and a lot of people lie, for acceptance and approval, right? They lie because they want to look good before other people. So it's really important when you're battling lying, and you see the command, do not lie, and you know that you're a liar, you know, how do you move forward? And one of them is to look at the idols, Because it's so helpful to realize, like, oh, you know what it is? I value human approval more than I value God and his approval, right? I remember when God was opening my eyes to this um, years ago about reflexive automatic lies. I know you guys don't do this. But some people, including myself, do these kind of reflexive lies, right? So somebody asks you a question like, hey, did you make that phone call? Yep. And then immediately you're like, that wasn't true. (laughs) You know, like, what was that? It was fast. Have you ever noticed how fast you can reflexively lie? And you think, like, why did I do that? And then you're talking a little later, and you do it again. You're like, man, what is this? It's like I don't have control of this. What's going on there? What's going on there, guys, is what you're doing in that moment is your heart made a split-second calculation that didn't really use your higher reasoning at all, right? It was, it was your heart going like, this is what I value. This is what I love. This is what I'm going to defend, right? And so in an example of like somebody says, hey, did you make that phone call I asked you to? And you're like, you know, you really should have. They remind you multiple times. You say, yes. And then you realize, man, that wasn't true. What am I doing? Why did I say yes? I made, my heart made a split-second calculation that I value your approval more than I value honoring God. And he just did it. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy how some of your, some, that's, that's called character. That's the underlying automatic responses of our heart. And so what do we do if we do this? I mean, this is a common sin among uh, young men, especially, is this kind of reflexive lying. Um, and if that's something you're dealing with, well, if that's something you have to deal with because you know somebody like that, you know what you do. They talk and they talk, and the whole time you're going, mm, probably not true, mm, probably not true, mm, probably not true. Whole conversation, right? Have you had people like that in your life where you just like, you just basically don't believe anything they say? It's sad because, like, at some point you should probably tell them that, right? Like, I think everybody else is thinking this too, that you're full of it, you know? That you just are completely lying all the time. What do you do if that's, if that's your situation? I think the first thing to practice is pausing, right? Because what's happening there is your heart's making these quick calculations and going after your idol. What you need to do is pause. You let your higher reasoning go like, hold on a moment, let me think about that, you know? And think, is this really true? And then observe, what was it in your heart that didn't want to be truthful there? What were you guarding? What did you really want? What's that idol? And you take that before the Lord. You say, Lord, I am so ruled by human approval that I would do this, you know, or I just want so badly control, or I just so badly wanted this power, or whatever, and repent of those idols. You see how that helps? Helps a ton when you start practicing it. Um, breaking promises in another form of lying. Um, Proverbs twenty five fourteen says, like clouds and wind without rain, this sounds like us, with clouds and rain uh, and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift and doesn't give it. You know, a man who boasts of gifts and doesn't give it. It's like a cloud that doesn't give rain. And the reason I think we relate to this is because we look at our weather app, And we're like, awesome, three days of rain next week. This is going to be awesome. It's not coming. It's lies, 
right? It's promising and never gives over and over again, right? Every once in a while it gives and we're like, it rained, you know? Like, well, the weather upset. Yeah, but it lies, you know? And we can be like that. We can be the kind of people that make promises and for the same reason that we lie in general. And the reason is we're trying to please people, you know? Pause. Somebody asks you, hey, can you come to this party? Hey, you want to come with us on vacation? Hey, can you take care of this task? Whatever. Pause. Pause. It'd be way better to give them some non-committal answer than to not, not come through on it. Um, interesting, we can also lie to ourselves and trap ourselves in our lives. Um, this is something that's super common. If you look at Proverbs 12, 13, it says, An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. You think his lies just ensnare other people, but it ensnares him. How does this happen? Well, often this happens with, with people that have made a habit of lying, and it covers up all the other garbage in their lives, you know? The life is just filled with all sorts of dysfunction and things like that, and the, re- the, the glue that holds it all together is lies, you know? Like, if you put enough lies over it here and here, you can kind of patch your life together. It's amazing, guys, when you start just telling the truth. You know, it's amazing when you start just telling the truth because it confronts you with who you are. (laughs) It confronts you with all these areas that the Lord is happy to work on, but you're kind of patching together with lies. You just make a commitment. I'm going to start telling the truth, including I'm going to start telling myself the truth. I'm going to stop lying to myself about why I do the things that I do and really come before the Lord and say, I want to live in truth and I want you to just take over my life. Um, the part also warn us about careless words. Um, words are super powerful, right? They have the power of life and death, and we ought to handle not swing them around. Um, if you look at Proverbs uh, 12, 18, it says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Isn't that cool? That their words are thrown around like sword thrusts. Like, whoa, whoa, watch where you're pointing that guy. You know, like, that thing's dangerous. Put that down. You don't know how to use that yet, right? Some of us would benefit from less words until we figure out how to work that thing, right? And the Proverbs talk about that too. In Proverbs 10, 19, it says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Story of my life, okay? (laughs) Story of my life. This is totally me. I need this like tattooed somewhere. Um, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And this leads to my favorite John Calvin quote, which is this. I consider looseness with words no less a defect than looseness of bowels. (laughs) That's a good one. And for those of us that deal with looseness of words, it has that effect, right? And so some of us need to diminish the amount of words until we gain control. You thought he was just all just predestination all the time. He did other things. He did other things. Some of us, praise the Lord, some of us need to listen a lot more. You know, Proverbs 18, 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. It's interesting. People have talked about that. You've heard this before, but we have one mouth and two ears for a reason, right? We should probably be doing twice as much hearing as we are speaking. We also, strangely enough, have eyelids but no earlids. Earlids would be awesome, right? Especially for parents who whoop, <laughs> didn't hear you, close my earlids. Um, but we don't have those because we should be listening more than we're speaking. Um, you know, maybe restraining our words, we'd start to discover that our critics even have something to tell us, something we can learn from each person if we'd be silent more. Dallas Willard, he was a professor of philosophy at USC, and one day a friend of his came to see him lecture, and, um, and there was a, a kid in his class, I say kid, he's an adult, I'm sure, but he said in his philosophy class, he, he had some issues with what Dallas said, and he said it in a not-so-cool manner, you know, to him. And then right after that, Dallas said, Dallas Willard, he goes, um, well, I guess that's a good place to end for the day. And his friend was like, what was that? 
You know, why did you just let that kid get away with that? You could have just demolished him. You know, you should have just done it, you know. And Dallas Willard said this. He said, well, I'm practicing the discipline of not having the last word. Did you know that was a spiritual discipline? <laughs> it's what he invented. The discipline of not hear, having the last word. I think a lot of us could benefit from that. And just let whatever that was said hit us. And just really think about, does that apply to me? And, you know, why is my heart so needing to respond to that? Those would be helpful things for us to do. As I've told you, like, this is the most convicting topic in the Proverbs for me, is, is the language thing. You know, I'm a very verbal person. I'm an introvert, but I'm what they call a noisy introvert. So, which is a weird thing, like I'm better off, you know, alone and stuff. But if I'm with you, you're going to hear me, you know. And this passage says that life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat their fruit, for good or bad, you know, for good or bad. And so those of us who are more verbal really need to think about this. Um, and, and the great teacher Jesus told us why we should think about it. Take a look at um, Matthew 12, 33. This is so good. Matthew 12, 33. Jesus is talking about the heart and our words. And I'm going to start reading it, but don't still start turning there. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? And then this is so key, guys. This is true. We don't like to think this is true. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. Guys, our words are accurate samples of our hearts. It's as if your heart is a well, and you know how you can get the water tested? It's, it's as if your heart's a well, and their words are water samples, and you should be testing them for purity because they tell you something about what's in your heart. You should scrutinize your words, not other people's words. We should scrutinize our own words and take them seriously as samples of our heart. Because Jesus said, read a little further, There'll be a reckoning for every one of them. Matthew 12, 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. That's scary. Isn't it? That's scary. There'll be a reckoning for our words. And you say, well, why are careless words? He should judge my well-thought-through words. Because the careless words are the unfiltered ones, right? They're the ones that got past your filter, right? Those are the ones that just came out. Those are the most accurate samples because they're unprocessed. And we don't like, we want to distance ourselves from it. We say something, we say things like, oh, that's not me, and I didn't mean that, and oh, that's not what I really think. But Jesus is like, he boxes us in, and he goes, no, actually, that's you. Those are your unfiltered words. And, um, and that's why those are the very words he's going to judge us with. And, and, and the thing is, there's nothing we, we ourselves, there's nothing we could do about that. The words are said, can't pull them back in. There's a transcript of all of our words before God's court. Nothing we can do about that, right? And so if we were to face God's judgment with the transcripts of all of our words, we'd be doomed, wouldn't we? Wouldn't you? I would. But the cool and the good news is, is that 2,000 years ago, there was a man, he walked down those dusty streets of Jerusalem, and he was a man that only spoke life. His best friend said that he was full of grace and truth, that his words were both grace and truth. His enemies even said, no one ever spoke like this man. And they weren't just talking about how profound he was. They were talking about that he always spoke life. He always gave life-giving words. Even his harshest words, and he had harsh words for people, right, were always designed, carefully leveled to give life. He was the ultimate man who spoke wisdom. And he could have just come here to show us how wretched we are. 
You know what I mean? You see a life like that and you go, okay, that's what you should live. And you could think that he's just came to condemn you and show you this is what you should have done. You didn't do it. You misused God's uh, speech. But he didn't do that. God said that he sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but to save it. Jesus came to bear and remove the transcripts of all of your sinful speech. Amen? Are you guys excited about that? Are you guys excited that Jesus came to bear and remove all the transcripts of all your most regrettable words. That's good news. Maybe it's just me, but like that, like for some reason that gives me the good news. I'm like, okay, that's good news. <laughs> I'm excited about that. And if you trust in Jesus, the transcripts of all of your evil speech were nailed to the cross. Isn't that awesome? On the cross, Jesus Christ gave an account for every one of your careless words. He gave an account for it on the cross. That was the judgment of your sin. And do you remember what Jesus said from the cross? Peter, one of his closest friends, said this, that when Jesus was reviled, he didn't revile in return. And when he suffered, he didn't threaten. Talk about meekness. Talk about power. Talk about restraining the spirit. And on the cross, from the cross, guys, while he's in excruciating pain, nails in his wrist at the communion table, we have these nails to remind us. Nails in his wrist. He's hanging from the cross, dying in agony. His words were only beautiful, life-giving words. I want to read them to you. There were seven that we have recorded. First one is this. This is while he's being murdered by people and tortured by people. This is what he says. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Isn't that amazing? You pierce him and what kind of words come out? That's his heart. Um, he said this to the thief on the cross, truly I say to you, you'll be with me in paradise. Cares for the thief on the cross, the one next to him. He says to um, his, his mother and John, he says, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. Cares about his mother in that moment. Beautiful words. He said, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? He's being forsaken an account for every one of our careless words. He said, I thirst, and then he said these great words, it is finished. Transcripts destroyed. The gospel, guys, is the good news that even your most regretted words have been replaced with Jesus' beautiful words. The transcript in heaven of your conversation is Jesus' conversation. It's amazing. It's totally amazing. And now as his disciples, Jesus wants to help us to speak life. And he doesn't just want to give us a filter. Religion does that. Religion says, you know what? Your talk is all wrong. Here's what you need. You need a filter. You need to start filtering that and speaking like somebody that goes to church, for goodness sakes. You know, Right? That's not what Jesus offers us because we don't need a filter. We need a new heart. We need a heart that stuff could just spew out of it and it's always good. It's always life-giving, right? We need a heart that's made new and that's what Jesus offers us so that we will naturally speak life. And I just want to real quickly talk to you about life-giving words because I kind of beat you over the head with the other ones, right? Jesus teaches us how to give life. And this is so exciting because speech is so powerful. We talked about its negative power, but its power to give life. I mean, Stuff that comes out of your mouth could give people life. That's amazing. We want to learn how to do that. And it's like, Jesus, teach me how to do that. Jesus will teach us how to use gracious words instead of wounding words. Words that are tasty. Proverbs 16, 24 says, gracious words are like a honeycomb. And listen to this. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. You can have words like that. Jesus will teach you how. Proverbs will teach you how. Words that heal. Proverbs 12, 18 says that the tongue of the wise brings healing. Words that feed people. This is interesting. Proverbs 10, 21 says, the lips of the righteous feed many. And I was just thinking like, we're actually built up and made of the words of other people. Thinking about like, the person that I am has been made by the words of my parents, my friends. Um, you know, many of you are here who have made me by your words. 
Uh, my wife has made me by her words. We feed people with our words. They become a certain kind of person because of the kind of certain kind of words we've given them. Um, words that refresh. Proverbs 10:11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Isn't that awesome? Refreshing words. Encouraging words. One of the best things you can do for another believer is to notice the things God's doing in their life and tell them. It's like your kids when you say, well, you've grown, and they're like, no, not really. I'm like, no, seriously, you have. Let me show you, right? That's what we need to do for each other. Say, man, you're so different than you were last year in this area. Like, that's God at work. We're not flattering them. You know what we're doing? We're being thankful for goodness sake. Like, we should be thankful, right? We're, we're glorifying God by we're saying, wow, look at what God's doing in your life. That glorifies God and encourages that person. It's a win-win-win. It's like three or four wins probably, okay? Um, that's one of the best things. Truthful words. Proverbs uh, 9, uh, 12, 19 says, truthful lips endure forever. Um, Proverbs 10, 31 says, The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. Sometimes truthful words means correcting words. Jesus had correcting words for people, right? Correction is love too, if it's done with the heart of love, right? Proverbs 27, 6 is such a cool verse. It says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Enemy is just going to be like, Oh, yeah, you're great, you're great. Keep on on that path to destruction. You're looking good, you know? A friend goes like, No, 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 no. Like, you're on the wrong path. Friend will warn you. Friend will, will wound you even and, and show you your sin, will wound you with an intent to heal you. Like a surgeon, right? Surgeons get knives out and cut people's abdomens open. That's mean, right? No, it's not mean, right? It's intended to heal. Words of correction are intended to heal. Use some anesthesia. Okay. Skilled words. Jesus will teach us how to use skilled words, not careless words. Proverbs fifteen twenty eight says, The heart of the righteous ponders his answer. Like, that would be a good idea. He'll teach us how to use well-timed words. It says in Proverbs 15, 23, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. So important that our words are in season. We think about when we give them. You know, sometimes you got to like, you have something you really need to tell somebody, you need to write it down and wait for the right time, right? One of the things when we do pre-marriage counseling, my wife and I talk about is in marriage. We don't drop anything heavy on each other after 9 p.m. or before 9 a.m. Why? Everything looks worse during that time. When you first wake up in the morning or at night, you wait. You talk about it later. In season. Um, words that are persuasive. Proverbs 25, 15 says, With patience a ruler may be persuaded. Listen to this. And a soft tongue will break bone. And there's a way to be persuasive with your language that's powerful. You know, you don't want to get the idea that being persuasive and gracious, it's all weak, right? Breaking bones is not weak, right? This is the height of wisdom. It's not just enough, guys, to tell somebody the truth. We need to win their heart, too, right? You can win an argument, not win the person. You ever done that before? That's not a win. We win the person. Um, one last one. He's going to teach us how to draw other people out. Proverbs 20, verse 5. I love this. The purpose in a man's heart is like a deep well, and a man of understanding will draw it out. So there's a type of language, there's a type of speech, there's a type of words that draw other people out. What does this say at a minimum? At a minimum, it says... Um, don't just talk the whole time, right? Draw other people out. Have you ever, do you ever do like evaluation on a conversation with somebody and realize like, whoa, I was just talking the whole time. Like wise words draw the other people out. When, um, when Tasha and I were getting our pre-marriage counseling over 20 years ago, our pastor gave me this verse because she's quiet, she's less verbal, and he said, you're gonna have to practice this verse. You know, her heart is a deep well and if you need to become a man of understanding and learn how to draw that out. So you can be like, hey, what's wrong? Nothing. What's wrong? Nothing. You know, it's like, okay, like, let me try something else, you know. Being able to draw them out, 
right? Some of us who are verbally more powerful need to disarm ourselves, especially with a wife or a husband, need to disarm ourselves to draw the other person in. Remember one time Tasha and I were having an argument and we were talking and I was trying to get more out of her and she said, you know, I don't even know why we were going to even have this conversation. You're just going to win either way. You're going to win whether you're right or wrong, which is true, right? Verbally, I'm just a verbal person. I could probably win this and be wrong, you know? I could come away, you know, defeating her, but she was right, right? And, and to draw people out means to disarm ourselves in such a way that the other person can speak and, and be heard. Um, this is exciting, guys. It's super exciting to, and I would just recommend getting the Proverbs and just go through. And if your deal is speech, there's tons of stuff on there. Take these verses and really dig into them because your words, you regular person, words have the power of life and death. How cool to learn from Jesus how to speak life. Such a cool thing. And as we do that, we're going to have an opportunity to speak to people the most life-giving word, which is the gospel. Proverbs 25, 25 says this, like cold water to a thirsty soul is good news from a far country. That's the gospel, right? Good news from a far country. We have this good news from a far country. It's the good news that Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has destroyed the transcripts of all of our evil speech and that he has now replaced them with his words and is going to teach us how to speak life. And guys, when you give the message of the gospel about his cross and resurrection, it gives people life. You just realize that? The gospel, before you were saved, you were all dead, spiritually. Dead to God. Dead to God. Had no ability to know him, hear him, respond to him, live for him. Dead. Totally dead, right? And then what happened? You heard the gospel, and the Spirit made you alive. And what's really cool is that Peter talks about the gospel as being like a seed. And just imagine when you share the gospel with somebody, and you don't know if there's going to be a response or not. That's not your problem. Like, you need to just pray over that and give the gospel. When you give the gospel, just imagine a cloud full of seeds coming out of your mouth. And those seeds can, like, burrow in someone's dead heart. His heart is very much alive, by the way can burrow into a person's dead heart. And then when the Spirit blows on that, can come alive and give that person spiritual life. And come to spiritual. Gospel has that power. Spread that seed around. You have good news. And the cool thing is, is that we've seen that. We've seen that in this room. Every one of you at one time was dead. The gospel has spoken to you, maybe very imperfectly. And and it grew into life. That's what happened in the life of George Rowe. Um, George Rose, some of you know, is uh, Renee's dad and, uh, and Rhea's husband, and Josh back there, his, his, his father-in-law, and he passed away just a few weeks ago. Um, I think he was about 68, and uh, it was on January 30th, and um, his life is amazing to me because um, he, he came to Christ at 60, and my parents came to Christ later in life too, and I remember just kind of giving up, you know? Is you think like, oh, after a certain age, people are set in their way. It doesn't work that way, though. The gospel is, has the power of life, right? The spirit can change anyone. And so he came to Christ at 60 years of age, and that's because the, the gospel is a, a life-giving word. I remember when he came to Christ, like I think it was eight years ago, um, you know, we got to see him get baptized and stuff like that. And here's a guy that's um, shy in front of people, 60 years old, and he says, I want to be baptized. And I'm only going to be baptized, I'm going to tell my testimony. And it was just amazing to see the life that was given to this guy. And a super loving guy. His words always gave me life every time he talked to me. He became a founding member of our church, but he's been very sick in the last few years, so you haven't seen him much. But um, the gospel has that kind of power. Life-giving power. Give it. Give it to people that are older. Give it to people that don't seem interested. You can speak life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news from a far country that refreshes our souls. 
And Lord, as we take communion, as we worship you today, Lord, we pray that we would just really meditate on the power of speech that you've given us. And Lord, help us to make a new commitment, make a new desire to learn how to use that gift well. Lord, we know that being in Christ, Christ is in us and he speaks through us. And we just pray, Lord, as we take communion and worship you, Lord, that you would fill us afresh with your spirit in such a way that we would speak life more this week than we did last week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.